You're listening to Everyday Humanity. Welcome back. You are listening to Everyday Humanity. We are on episode five in our second season. We are so, so glad that you continue to join us each and every week. We are happy you're here. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Beth, and I am joined by my co-host, Dennis. And of note, we do not have this week a uh, sort of a roving guest host with us as our third person because the person we are interviewing today is no stranger behind the mic. I am going to let Dennis... (laughs) And you guys are laughing at me. That's pretty good, right? That yeah, was pretty good. Okay, yeah. thank you. I, I, I thought so, too. So, Dennis, if you would please do us the honor and introduce this week's guest, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. So uh, this week's guest, this week's, this, this week's podcast is really turning the tables because um, this guy usually interviews people and doesn't always get interviewed. And today we are interviewing him. So uh, our guest today is the one and the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Kelly from Wood Radio and the Morning Show. And uh, in full transparency, Steve is also a member of the board at Mel Trotter. And uh, we'll dive into that probably a little bit a little bit later. But um, I'm honored just to not only have Steve on this podcast, but uh, to have him on our board and more importantly, to call him a friend uh, over the years we've gotten to know and I think love each other quite a bit. And uh, I'm excited just to see where this goes and hear more about Steve's story. So, um, you know, to start off, Steve, uh, welcome. And we'd just like to hear just a little bit about, um, yeah, your life. Um, You have a beautiful wife. You have two beautiful daughters. If you want to just share some of that as much as you're comfortable with, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. I would be honored, Dennis. Thank you, Beth. A pleasure. Um, This really is kind of a full circle thing for me because I came to know of Mel Trotter from a relative who was a guest. Um, And the similarities between the relative and me are the thing that put me uh, in front of you on the board and uh, what I strive to do in transparency now uh, on Wood Radio. So in the old days, I've been in radio for 38 years. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I started in Ludington in 1983. Uh, I was on the radio to provide a cheery sort of voice, right? It's all about entertainment and information. And the older I got, the more I realized now that I have a pulpit, if that's a a word I can use, uh, I can be more powerful by being myself. Mm. So instead of sort of crafting a version of me that I liked better, (laughs) uh, I can be... Uh, the the person that God created, uh, and help people through those struggles, which is something in the last few years, and through Mel Trotter and the uh, the series that I spoke to on Mel Trotter that opened so many doors for me. Who'd have thought talking about my brokenness would open doors? What's this all about? <laughs> um, so I'm a radio guy. Uh, and I love it. As you mentioned, a family, a uh, wife of 30 years. We just celebrated wow. 30 years, and, and children will be 27 and 24 this year. Wow. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Redheads, you can't miss them. <laughs> Did they get that from you or from Sandy? Yeah. It's on both sides of the family. Really? But neither of us are, are redheads. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So... <laughs> 
to talk a little bit more about what brought me to you and what brought me to an anniversary yesterday um, is a history of mental illness and undiagnosed um, childhood trauma, which is PTSD, which led to a nervous breakdown, which was medicated by alcohol, which eventually became alcoholism. And I have been eight years sober as of yesterday. So, wow, yay. congratulations. Yay, yay, Thank yay. you. Depending on, on when you listen to this podcast, <laughs> as it lives in, in perpetuity, uh, it's something I'm very proud of and something I never would have talked about. Um, the, the relationship is a first cousin, uh, my first cousin, Dave, who you met. You met my yep, mom. Yeah, I did. Uh, they met you before I did. Yeah. Um, Dave and I have the same genes, right? My mother's uh, sister's son. Dave is also an alcoholic. Uh, the difference between Dave and your guests and me are resources. I didn't run out of money. I didn't get kicked out of the house. I, through the grace of God, admitted my powerlessness against this disease uh, on my knees at a nice church with a regularly uh, regulated temperature. I still had money in my bank. I still had health care, um, and I had a psychologist and re I could drive my own car to an AA meeting. Yeah. So the difference between me and Dave, resources. Um, what are you for your guests? Resources. Yes. So were it not for the grace of God, we're the same people. So yeah. I think I have that perspective to bring to the board. I don't know how long I had before uh, Sandy showed me the door, uh, my wife, but it was surely coming. Or I was going to die. I had uh, liver disease. Um, either way, it's not the person that you see eight years sober in front of you now uh, who has a unique perspective to try to help. And uh, until I die, I'll do my best uh, to give back. And what an honor. Yeah. What's so interesting to me in hearing this story, Steve, is, um, well, a couple things that came to mind as I was listening. One, you said something I would have never spoken about before. Um, do you think that came from guilt, shame, embarrassment? Like, why before would you not have spoken about it, but yet you sit here today and you were completely transparent? A little of all of that. It's, it was programming, right? You're supposed to be a, a cheery voice. What's the spirit of Radio Rush song, a companion, unobtrusive um, I three people got that reference. Um, I like Getty. But see? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I like my 80s music. But yeah, there's shame that goes along. Yeah. People don't understand, and I didn't, that alcoholism is a disease. Yeah. And when I counsel people who feel the same, I think uh, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction is... Uh, akin to uh, a character flaw, right? People think that you just are a, a messed up person that can't make the right choice. Mm -hmm. Well, what would you say to somebody who has cancer? Are you incapable of saying no to cancer? Well, that's what a disease is. Mm -hmm. And once we get our head around that, it takes away the shame that keeps you from getting help, mm -hmm. right? When that light finally goes off, if there's something going on here that makes it harder for me to say no. Maybe I'm rewired differently mm -hmm. and I get a bigger gratification or maybe it just goes right past any uh, logic and 
goes right to the alcohol and what I get from that. I think we think that um, people are just out of choices, so they're going to drink and drug themselves uh, to death. Mm -hmm. And I was probably one of those people that thought that until I became an alcoholic and realized that I just don't know what to do against this. Right. So that's where resources come in. I was able to reach out uh, to an Alcoholics Anonymous mentor. Uh, I had been going to a therapist, a Christian counselor. What? Could there be such a thing? Somebody that talks about Jesus and is an analytical doctor, uh, founder, um, and began doing real work where we talked about real things and mentioned, oh, by the way, I drink myself into a stupor every night. And uh, that's when the real healing uh, began. But again, I go back to admitting the powerlessness. And I think we all need to do that for any circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, without you, I am nothing. Yeah. yeah. Right? I am dependent on you. I am so dependent on you for everything. And I think that was counterintuitive, too. We, in American mm-hmm. culture, want to say, I got this handled. I'm a go-getter type of guy. Really, I just barely get up and get to the car every day without praying and saying, I am so overcome right now, I don't know what to do. You're so right. Um, in a former part of my career, I was on the pastoral staff of two churches, and, and the second church was in Mason, Ohio, a suburb of Cincinnati. And we had sister churches in Monterey, Mexico, and in Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, I went on a uh, went to visit the church in Monterey, Mexico, and became fast friends with the pastor and the people there. And one night we were sitting at a restaurant, and I said to Pastor Jorge, who has been a pastor in the United States, in Mexico, in Bolivia, and Colombia, and I said, you know, um, what is the difference that you've seen in Christians uh, in different in the various places that you've been? And I will never forget what he said. He said, Dennis, here is the difference between Christians in the developed Western world, like the United States and Christians in countries like Mexico and Bolivia and Colombia and others. He said, it comes down to this. In the United States, you believe in God. In the rest of the world, we rely on God, and that's wow. all the difference. <laughs> wow. And I think it's exactly what you said, Steve. It's, we've got this. We're, you know, God is there, and I guess if it gets really bad, we'll go to him, but we got this, <laughs> as opposed to people who have learned and lived by the fact that they need to rely on God. Yeah, right? relinquishing control, yeah. right? That's what it is. And, and Steve, when you use that analogy, which I love, you said it's um, being an alcoholic, right? No different than uh, having cancer. And as a cancer survivor myself, I appreciate that analogy because that was not within my control, right? I didn't choose that disease. Right. And yet I needed to absolutely rely on God in those moments. And it's why it goes to the entire purpose of this podcast, everyday humanity. We are in this thing called life together. And what I'm hearing is the labels of you are just, quote, an alcoholic. Therefore, X, Y, and Z must must be true. You have cancer. Therefore, these things must be true. You are just a, quote, homeless person. Mm-hmm. Therefore, these things must be true. And we start to make these judgments instead of saying, who does God say we are? Mm. Who does God say we are? We are made in his image as people who are unique and wonderfully and beautifully made, who have value and mattering and worth and are unconditionally loved by him. We have to remember that. And I think so many of us fail to just be reminded of those things by ourselves you know, our inner dialogue um, as well as each other. So that to me is just a, a, was a beautiful analogy. I wanted to make sure I remember to say that. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> and, I loved it. And we say that faith is believing without seeing. Mm-hmm. But we see this interconnectedness. We, we see what happens when these people are touched 
by the resources that Mel Trotter brings to bear. Mm -hmm. And we see people that were marginalized and ignored, a ball on a city street, become um, Christians with awareness, finding self-love again, which is so hard to do without Christ, mm -hmm. I can't imagine. Uh, and they become productive. And you take care of all of that at, at Mel Trotter. Not just a church. Mm -hmm. It's not just a rehab facility. Uh, it is an area, uh, a resource that takes care of all of that. And when you walk by or are approached by someone and you don't know what to do. Uh, I remember the first time we interviewed you and you talked about uh, coupons. And I right. thought, finally, an answer to somebody as you hear the statistics that someone who approaches you on the street is, you know, probably mentally ill, probably um, an addict, probably both. Uh, so giving them money might not be the right thing. You've always said, do what your heart says. But Mel Trotter is one block that way. Right. <laughs> and I go that way every time. I've been there. I've seen the difference that it makes. And if you really want healing, start there, brother. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But at least I have an answer now. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and that's it. Right. It's because part of what we're talking about is meeting everyone, whether they're experiencing homelessness or, homelessness or not, meeting everyone exactly where they are. And um, I recently my kids are starting to make me watch the show Ted Lasso. I don't ah. know if you've seen that. Oh, yeah. All of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's some there's some really good things of that uh, about that show. But one of the things that I've loved is this uh, phrase that he's coined that says, be curious, not judgmental. And that's really what it means to come alongside some people, right? Because I grew up in West Michigan. I love West Michigan. Um, but I grew up in this West Michigan culture that says, well, if you are that ball on the street, then here are the judgments I'm going to make. You have chosen not to work. You've chosen to become addicted. Um, you could change this if you wanted to, but you're choosing not to. And you really just want somebody to take care of you. Right. And and frankly, I had that. I'm going to turn 54 this year. So until I was probably 44, I sort of had that. What happened 10 years ago is I joined Mount Trotter. And now what I've figured out is it is impossible for someone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps if they don't have boots or their straps are broken. <laughs> um, but once you help them find boots, they will run farther than you could even imagine for them, right? And that's really the difference. And, and Steve, I know, you know with your story is, yes, you had the resources. Um, but once people came alongside of you, Look how far you've come, mm -hmm. right? You've gone for, and we're not done with you yet. Um, but so, talk about um, talk about your to the extent you're comfortable. Your family's response. So Sandy, and and you mentioned she didn't kick you out of the house. Um, but you also had two girls in the home, and that had to be really hard for their dad to be going through this. And how did that? How did your relationship grow and evolve and deepen through this with your daughters and your wife? You know, I heard an analogy, Beth, you mentioned cancer, um, someone saying that it was a blessing in their life. And wow. the person, I don't know who said it or, or when, um, and they said, how could you say that about a disease that almost took your life? Mm -hmm. And he said, I am closer to my God. I'm closer to my family. Um, and I'm healthy now. I've, I've seen my way through it. So it was a blessing. Alcoholism was a blessing in my life. Uh, liver disease, a diagnosis of deadly liver disease saved my life and was a blessing 
in my life. It was the way that God finally got my attention. Uh, if you would have asked me 10 years ago uh, if finding out that I either had to quit drinking or die was a good thing, I would have said no. <laughs> it was the best thing. And God finds ways um, to personalize all of those little analogies in our own lives. When on my knees at church, I finally let myself say it. I think I knew it. My analogy with alcoholism uh, is if we're going to use uh, TV shows and movies, The Sixth Sense, which is a horror film, but to me is a family uh, movie. It's about love and uh, the bonds between a mother and a, a son who thinks that he's not. Uh, there are sure ghosts and stuff. I love that movie. I think it's beautiful. Uh, and uh, there is a character who, toward the end of the movie, is talking to his uh, wife, whom he thinks is ignoring him for the whole movie. Um, and uh, she drops the wedding ring. And at this, spoiler alert, at this point of the movie, he finds out uh, that he's the ghost. He's dead. Uh, I sort of came to, on my knees, this idea that I was an alcoholic when it was like, wait a minute, all of these things are true. I'm drinking all the time, and I'm using excuses, and uh, there's the shame, yeah. and there's the not understanding, the disease part, uh, and uh, God opened my eyes, and he did. And then we did some work, mm -hmm. right? We didn't mm -hmm. just pray away the alcoholism. Uh, we did some hard work, and uh, we still do. Um, the anxiety and depression aren't mm -hmm. curable, right? So at least I know now that anxiety and depression is better than being anxious and depressed, drunk, or hungover. So big lesson there that only took me about 40 years to figure <laughs> out, right? So the reaction from my family will make me emotional um, because for better or worse, right? You realize how close you are when things um, are thrown at you, when there's adversity. My wife knew all, all along I wasn't fooling her. She was relieved to hear me say it. Uh, my daughters were, uh, one was in uh, college, one was a, a teen. Uh, their response was immediately unconditional uh, and heartening. And both became champions, right? They weren't ashamed of their father, uh, they spoke about it at school. One uh, spoke about it in college, and it was, and they would tell me about it. Where, Dad, somebody said something about an alcoholic today, and I said, and <laughs> it was mind-blowing to see how quick they were to jump on the nurturing uh, bandwagon. So was alcoholism a blessing in my life? Heck, yeah. Uh, we never would have known this, maybe, uh, had we not been faced with this this obstacle in our life. And I thank God for it. Yeah, yeah. I would love to piggyback on that. Everything you were saying, I was just nodding in agreement, and it was resonating because I'll never forget. I was in the hospital for 35 days having a bone marrow transplant. I was isolated. My daughter was not quite two years old. Her dad had just moved to a different state without us. And I'm in the hospital thinking incorrectly about God. I was thinking that I was there as punishment for my marriage mm -hmm. falling apart. Mm -hmm. So uh, growing up the way I did, I, and somebody who was an achiever and likes to do things correctly all the time, I thought, this is a big failure. God must hate me. And I heard you say that 
the blessing in this is that you now have a, a much deeper relationship with God. And what's so interesting is it did not happen for me overnight. And that that was the lesson for me. As I walked out of that hospital, the only person to have lived through a transplant after I was befriending everybody. And I was like, come on, guys, let's go. We can do this. And I watched them die one by one. And my theology taught me at that moment when I was 25 years old, I thought I was the terrible sinner here. What did these people do? Mm -hmm. Right. I had had it completely incorrectly, uh, my view of God. So I walk out of the hospital and people immediately would walk up to me and say, wow, I bet you're so close to God now. I bet you stop and smell the roses. You have to just have this new appreciation for life and for God. And in that moment, I didn't. I didn't. I was not necessarily changed. I was grateful, obviously, for being alive, but I was not yet transformed from the inside. And the lesson for me is that God has never left me. He is. He didn't leave me on that journey to come closer to him either. It was, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I had you through this. I will have you when you're ready to be in a relationship with me. And those expectations are only your own. They are only societal expectations and other expectations that have been um, brought upon you. That is not how I feel about you. It is unconditional love, just like your family showed you. Mm -hmm. Unconditional love, which is the message that we share so frequently with our guests is like, look, we are here to love you, to walk alongside you, and to treat you with the dignity and compassion that God has shown each of us. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And we were talking in staff meeting earlier today and, and even off air a little bit about this idea that, you know, we feel the shame and guilt, right? Our guests feel an enormous amount of shame and guilt, even if they're not addicted, right? They The situation that they find themselves in, they feel an enormous amount of shame and guilt. And I think we have to ask ourselves as a society and individually – how do we participate in casting shame and guilt? Mm. Because the person, I would say this almost to any person I've met that's, that experiences homelessness and has come through Mel Trotter, they are already casting a ton of shame and guilt on themselves. That's right. And how do we actually, instead of walking forward with them out of that, how do we actually in our actions, in our judgments, in our whatever it is, how do we actually participate in that and make it worse? And then, you know, the other thing we said in our staff meeting today, Beth, was with our staff was, um, here's the truth. We can think really bad things about ourselves. God knows us better than we know us. So if it's like, you know, well, gosh, if Beth and Steve knew this about me, they wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. Um, you know, and then I carry that shame and guilt. Well, guess what? God knows more about me than I do. And yet he loves me anyway. That's right. Right. And that's, I mean, okay, so Steve was an alcoholic and Steve probably did some bad things and said some bad things as an alcoholic. And yet God loved him anyway. And still loves him anyway, and used him during that time, and is using you after that time. Same thing with you. Same thing with me. And you know, and that's what we're trying to get across to our guests is not shame and guilt. They've got enough of that on their own, but actually understanding where shame and guilt comes from, and it's not from God. Um, and then how do we help them walk through? And that's that's what gets me really excited, right? And and I'm gonna be honest, Steve. That's um, a large reason why I'm excited for you to be on our board. Because we have some other people on our board, a few, that have traveled similar circumstances of addiction and, and for them, homelessness. Um, but I think our board becomes better when we have more voices on it that can speak through real life experiences about what is going on in our with those that we're trying to serve in our ministry. What if um, we are like our automobiles? Uh, what if we just need a little better maintenance? 
Um, I came to uh, alcoholism, as I mentioned, through anxiety and depression. I have the diagnosis. I also had a childhood trauma. And uh, we don't do enough to help with childhood trauma. Um, we talk about PST, uh, PTSD with uh, service members, and I think we're doing a better job with that. We have counselors now in the Army and mm-hmm. Air Force and, and Marines. Uh, but when something happens to a kid, we think, well, why would we keep bringing it up, right? And, and sweeping it under the rug is not necessarily a good word, but uh, certainly, pardon me, certainly they're young enough to get over this. Yeah, they're so resilient, right? Let's just keep an eye on them. Yeah. And uh, something uh, traumatic happened to me, a, a horrifying car accident uh, that led to being entrapped in a, a vehicle with uh, the dead body of my best friend. Um, not cool. And we got through it. We soldiered on. And about 35 years later, I paid the price for not dealing with that. I'm not bitter about that because it led to my transformation. It helped. Um, But if someone who is on the street similarly had an incident where the bottom fell out decades later, and we can go in there like an automobile and find a therapist, a psychologist, AA meeting, and do that little tweak, and suddenly, It makes sense. For years, and when I speak, I talk about my parents having this uh, basket with Christmas cards. And my mother and the father of my best friend who died uh, wrote Christmas cards back and forth to him every year. And I would read that card every year uh, through my teens when I graduated from college, when I became an active member of society, when I had little babies. I'd read that card every year, and I would get pangs of guilt because I wanted to call up that family and apologize for being the boy that lived. Mm. I felt such guilt. He had to die so I could live. That's what the 14-year-old thought. It was just a simple wrong way to look at the situation as opposed to it was a car accident. Somebody died. You got to live. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about that. And uh, we didn't. So a tiny little error in processing uh, eventually uh, led to the bottom falling out in my life. What if that person that's a guest at Mel Trotter just needs a socket wrench to help process something to then uh, fix the foundation uh, so that person can become a a, a better... uh, servant, member of society, taxpayer, if that helps with your uh, generous donation, Um, but a happier, healthier person, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you do everything you can to help that person? And I know that that works because it worked with me. Mm -hmm. So as I said at the beginning of this, the difference between me and somebody who is homeless with all of my baggage, uh, the difference is resources. And Mel Trotter brings those resources to the marginalized that don't have them. Hmm. That is it. That is it. And I think that you just beautifully 
uh, painted the picture of why there is just no one solution to homelessness, right? And that is why we come alongside and say, you know, how can we partner uh, within the community with additional resources? How can we um, do case management with our guests so that we say, how did you get here? Tell us your story. What is your one thing that you had wrong, your, your perception and so forth, and what is it that you need, right? Because not everybody comes into homelessness for the same reason. Therefore, um, their way out cannot look the same either. We know that um, the commonality is broken relationships, right? No resources available. So it stands to reason then that relationships are, are what are needed to help them out. So yeah, that's exactly it. I love that analogy, Steve. I'd like to know about your cousin. Can we talk about him a second? Sure. That difference? Um, how did he fair how did he ex- you know experience his situation with alcoholism um he uh didn't it didn't take the first time uh, he's been in and out of uh rehabs he's been sober now i think uh for the longest time um but uh i don't know how many rehabs or court ordered rehabs that he's been to um and i don't know how to process that i don't know what to feel about that i I think that God gives us all as many chances as we need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't know the difference uh, between my transformation um, and, and his, but I know that I'm supposed to see the difference, right? I don't know if it's choices once I was shown the light. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but I, I want to learn from him. And, you know, Dennis, you and I have talked about this before, too. Another one of the reasons why uh, Mel Trotter is a great organization is that for a lot of addicted people, um, family members don't just turn their back on them because of lack of love, right? It's because they just can't do it anymore. Um, And a lot of us in the addicted community uh, will destroy relationships um, sourcing for drugs, stealing for money for alcohol, and eventually families have to try that tough love thing. Man, you just, I can't do this. It's not safe to have you around the other kids, right? And I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, but that's a real thing, and that's something that happened with him. Um, no, is what we had, I'm holding my hands up here. Um, in the background of this podcast, because all of us did that. All of us uh, were sick of him. And, and there is guilt about that because, I mean, you should see where he lives, right? Uh, and you should see where I live. So I want to make sure that I learn from that uh, situation as well, because I'm not done processing that mm-hmm. yet. So I don't have a complete answer for you. No, but thank you. We're still completely different people. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he's quite there yet. And he's not real open to it. But he's sober and alive. Yeah. And, and wow, I'm so glad that you said everything that you said because um, that's, I think, the other misconception, right, is that at some moment 
this light is going to go on and suddenly everything will be better. And, and for some people, it certainly happens. But, um, you know, the listener may or may not know this, but we have had um, a program at Mel Trotter that is unique. It really is the only one in the country like it, at least in, in among homeless shelters. And it was formerly called our PI Center, our Public Inebriate Center. And, and now it's been renamed to our Sobering Center. But essentially, here's the premise. So 20 years ago, the hospitals in the city got together and they said, listen, when someone is homeless and and drunk on the streets, we're either putting them in jail and they really didn't commit a crime. Well, the taxpayer has to pay for that. Or they're going to the emergency room and they're really not sick and the taxpayer ends up paying for that. So there has to be something better. So they did this research and they came up with, we need to find a place where people can go that are intoxicated. That's not jail or the hospital. They came to Mel Trotter and said, you know, if we help fund nurses, would you do this? So we started that program. All of that to say this. Some people go, well, what are the outcomes? You know, so this guy that's laying in that bed right now, you know, next week, will he be okay? Well, he might be, but he probably won't be. And we have story after story. And I want to talk about my friend Lee, who, who passed away about uh, three years ago. Um, Lee was notorious for 20 years Every single night, he was either in St. Mary's Hospital because he was drunk, he was in Kent County Jail because he was drunk, or he was at Mel Trotter drunk in our PI Center. 20 years, 20 years of him in that PI Center with our nurses giving him food, giving him clothing, letting him take a shower, praying for him and loving him and trying to walk alongside him. 20 years. He had tried various things, different rehabs, housing first, all this kind of stuff. Nothing ever took for more than a month. Finally, after 20 years, he looks up at our nurses who are praying over him, and he says, I need to do something different. I'm ready. So he goes into our detox unit. Then he goes into our recovery program. Then he goes into a program that we had for, uh, for elderly individuals who are experiencing homelessness and have some, some disabilities. Lee suffered from mental illness as well. The last four years of his life, he was housed, he was sober, and he came back to Mel Trotter and volunteered in the PI unit, volunteering to serve people that, were, that are laying in the very beds that he used to lay in. And I get people that will say, well, that's not a great ROI. It took 20 years. And I'm like, if you want to look at this as a business equation, you're right. But if you want to look at this as a a God-sized equation, the ROI is perfect because here's two things that are true about Lee. God never gave up on him, and neither did those nurses at Mel Trotter. And if it takes 20 days, 20 years, or 40 years, it is about that life change and that journey and coming alongside people. So, you know, you're in a different spot than your cousin is, but we're not going to give up on your cousin Mm -mm. because God is not going to give up on your cousin, right? And we can't look at this and say, well, it's pretty much a failure if, if he's not completely where Steve is today. No, it's not true. We're going to keep walking with him because we're never, ever going to give up, right? And brothers and sisters, what does God say about what this life is compared to the next one? If this is not just a— Pastor Steve in the this house. This is not just preparation. Uh, what is it? So uh, those four years, I'm sure, were instrumental— uh, in what is to come next, if yeah. we are believers. Yeah. And we are. 
Yeah. And I, I loved that guy. I'm sorry, Beth. I, I love that guy. He used to, whenever we'd see each other at Mel Trotter on the street, he would say, Dennis, and he'd, he'd share something with me. And then if, if somebody came up, he would go, I've got to tell you about Dennis, and Dennis has taught me so much. And I would stop him. I'd say, no, st- no, Lee, I haven't taught you anything. But I have learned almost everything I know about homelessness through Lee, mm-hmm. right? He taught me so much. And he would say, you know, I've got some mental illness, so I don't talk very good. So, so it's – and I'd be, Lee, you are so profound in every word that you say, right? And that's the thing is he had so much value. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, today – I guarantee you he's not battling addiction today. Today he's, I don't know what story he's telling Jesus, but he's telling him something up there. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just going to say, Steve, you're the veteran guy behind the mic. What I feel like what you guys just said, is this the appropriate time to say, was that like a mic drop? Because really that's, that's that I had, I was speechless and we all know that never happens. So um, we don't ever really drop them. They're expensive and yes, they're not, yes, they're not ours that, most of the time. That's so, a fair point. That's, that's just a, f- a thing to say. I know this is why, this is why I don't often say what I'm thinking. I think everybody, this is the part of people I can say, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share with us on this episode? Anything else that we've um, not asked you that we should have or that you would like to share with our listeners right now? Um, gratitude. Mm. Uh, you know, be grateful for everything uh, because you just don't know, right? Uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to you both for, for giving me a chance to tell this story. Um, it has been abundantly clear to me in the last few years that I need to talk more about this stuff. I'm not an evangelist. Um, I am not an interventionist. Uh, I don't go to AA as much as a lot of people do. But I know in my heart uh, what helped me, what healed me, what is healing me. Um, and every time I talk about it, I get immediate feedback that it's the right thing to do. If there is one person who is listening right now to this podcast, uh, I just want you to know uh, that God adores you. And there is help and there is hope and it is never too late. Steve, thank you. Wow. Okay. I also that would need, be another mic drop. I know. It's two mic drops in one thing. Plus, I'm losing mascara over this whole thing. Um, <laughs> my eyes are watery. I don't know why. But thank you so very, very much for all that you continue to do, not only here at Mel Trotter, but in the world, right? This is what God calls us to do, is to say, um, let's give back and let's care for one another. And I, you know, oftentimes people say, well, I don't want to teach scripture or preach because I don't know where to find it and which of the 66 books. And, you know, we don't need to know. We just need to testify to say, this is my story. And you do that so beautifully. So thank you for sharing your story here with us today. You are welcome. And with everybody else in the world. So, okay, listener, thanks for joining us again this week. And we will see you back here next week on another episode of Everyday Humanity. Mm